Howdy y'all, and welcome back to the Comics Quest. For those who want to get into comics but don't know where to start, I am your host, J.D. Martin. Yes, the Texas Queen is not here this time. It is me introducing the show, uh, back in my usual post. And also, back in their usual post, is someone who uh, has been on the show uh, may, maybe the most times. It might be the most times. Uh, uh, Angela is currently not canon. She is not here, so... Uh, it, it, it cannot be her. She, so, uh, it is currently this person who I'm going to make canon, canon now. Uh, I, I would like to welcome, uh, one of my dearest friends as well. And on top of being one of my dearest friends is also, uh, the wonderful host of Panelology. The Rob Thomas, no, not that one, Robcast. Uh, Minds at Yurk and also one of the key people working on once, once upon a time, a monster of the week, the one and only Alex Lavelle. Now, see, you set me up there because uh, you talked about who is and isn't canon, and I just cannot not take the bait of saying, "Well, the most canon character is Peter." Yeah. Well. Uh, that just that slides us right into right into what we're talking about today. Uh, everyone, we're talking about Peter Cannon Thunderbolt by Kieran Gillen and Casper Wingard. Peter Cannon Finally. Thunderbolt. His name is Peter <laughs> Cannon Thunderbolt. <Cannon> Thunderbolt. <laughs> that was the Hamilton reference you were talking about. Yes, <laughs> I am constitutionally incapable of not singing the title of this comic. So. Here's the thing. Can we now? Because uh, my head, my my head canon talking about canon. Uh, my head canon here is that uh, if we ever got a Peter Cannon Thunderbolt movie, please don't do it. But if we did, uh, Matt Bomer would be a great Peter Cannon Thunderbolt. Um, and uh, I think he could do it. I think he could do a solid British accent. Uh, so now all I want is I want to write. A, I want to write a version of Alexander Hamilton called Peter Cannon Thunderbolt and have Matt Bomer sing it. Do I want to try to improvise lyrics to Alexander Hamilton right here? Or, right or, or a version of... Because he doesn't sing that much... Because, well, Hamilton doesn't sing, very, doesn't sing very much in that song, so maybe a better one would be we get a version of My Shot sung by Matt Bomer as Peter Cannon. <laughs> I think I'm going to resist the urge because I don't think I can do it. I do not think I can. Yeah, do don't. It well. Yeah, please don't and, do it. Um, uh, because like, like, here's the thing. I, I, I think I flew too close to the sun with the amount of versions of WAP I did for different things. Um, I remember I did that with. Um, I think the first time was with uh, the penguin in Batman. Uh, because there was that shot in the trailer of Penguin in the Rain. and Hang on, uh, hang someone... on, hang on, hang on. Macaroni <laughs> in a cobble pot. Go ahead! <laughs> oh my god! It works on two for... levels, because macaroni is a breed of penguin. My brain just broke. Okay, I'm leaving that. I'm leaving the silence, the, the natural silence, in there because my brain, <laughs> le, my brain legitimately broke for about two seconds there. And that, it, yeah, 
that is the sound of JD remembering why I'm only on here periodically. <laughs> periodically, if I could, you'd be my constant co-host. What are you talking about? The only problem is that I would have to shave down our four-hour conversations. And there aren't that many Tom Taylor books in the world. Unfortunately, <laughs> no. But just this... just know, just know. Uh, come the end of this year, when we get, when we, when, uh, Dark Knights of Steel ends and we get those trades, oh, don't you worry, listeners, we're gonna have a Dark Knights of Steel episode. Note to self, try to catch up on reading Dark Knights of Steel, one of the many, 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 frankly, most of them comics that I'm behind on right now. Hey, that's okay. Uh, because here's the thing, we don't have, we don't have just Tom Taylor, we also have Rom V comics to talk about, too. And Kieran Gillen comics. And Kieran Gillen comics, which brings us to... Peter Cannon Thunderbolt. Peter Thunderbolt. His name is Peter Cannon Peter Thunderbolt. Cannon Thunderbolt. Have fun editing that because we're not <laughs> we're not in time with each other. <laughs> oh, I know it's go- it's going to be awful. There's a million things he hasn't done. Uh, There's not a single but- thing he hasn't done. Thirty five minutes ago. But just you wait. He'll blast through the nine panel grid. So. Uh, Alex, uh, I would like you as the guest, if you, if you would please, uh, would you like to succinctly, uh, try to give a basic explanation of what this comic is? Peter Cannon, Mm -hmm. from an alternate reality to what we would consider maybe recognizably the Watchmen universe, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. recognizes that an evil version of himself presumably from what we recognize as the Watchmen universe, is trying to destroy various multiverses in the name of saving the various universes in the name of saving those universes and leads his team of off-brand Avengers to go stop him and learns a valuable lesson along the way that allows him to confront himself and, dare I speculate, find love. I think that is a beautiful explanation, because uh, I would not have gone that road. <laughs> Thank you. I read it off the dust jacket. Thank you. I'm kidding. Uh, I also... <laughs> JD knows this, because I... I'm on a camera, but listener, no. That... I cannot imagine I cannot imagine any Kieran Gillen book with that straightforward of basic plot summary on its dust jacket. No, no, that, that doesn't happen. Also, I combine the word root and road in the same... Uh, so that, that's where my, that's where my mouth is right now. That's where, that's where the mouth space is right now. Um, also cat. I have a cat. Um, she is being very vocal tonight. So listeners, just so you know, uh, yes, my child is being especially rambunctious today. She's currently chewing on my finger. Alex can see this and he knows it is adorable as hell. It is. It is adorable as hell. So if in your mind we have, uh, uh, Matt Bomer playing Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, How do you feel about for, uh, uh, oh shoot, his assistant, his partner, his former lover? Taboo. Thank you. Taboo. How do you feel about Raul Coley? I actually had someone else in mind, but Rahul Coley is such a better choice. I was honestly thinking of Dev Patel because I will always have Dev Patel in my mind from, from Green Knight, but Dev, but Rahul Coley is so, is a much better choice. Um, because here's the thing, if I see Rahul Kohli with that hair, cause that, because essentially that is 
his haircut and beard, especially from uh from from Midnight Mass, um, a show that I deeply love and everyone should go watch it. Uh, and then also once you once you listen to that, go once you watch that, go listen to the Busted Limes episode I was on talking about that show that I deeply love. Um, if I see Rahul Kohli with a button-down shirt, buttoned just just a little too low, um, I don't know if I'd be okay, and I and I'm okay with that. Honestly, I kind of want this for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, the thoughts that are running through my head, they are not podcast appropriate. Um, Insert tattoo underscore here. <laughs> um, so, Alex, I have to ask, because you were the one many, 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 many moons ago who who brought this comic to my attention i had no knowledge of his of his existence of its existence good lord um you brought this to my attention uh inflicted this upon you brow brow beat you until you picked it up and heeded my as usual correct words of recommendation um well you didn't have to beat me that that much i mean it was only it was only a slight stick flap uh, because immediately after we talked about it, I ordered my co- I ordered my copy. Um, it just took me a very long time to read it. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the problem. It's just like, oh, I have it. Now I have to read it. Now I have to sit down. Why do I have to sit down? Um, you could read standing. I'm sure a lot of people read standing. Oh, oh, I do too. Um, but what what ends up happening is that I wind up walking around the house and I just read out loud to myself. And, and, and that's also fun, um, but not with comics, honestly. Fair enough. So instead, instead, uh, and not talking about that, um, I want, I instead want to ask you, uh, how did this comic first come onto your radar? Um, well, I wish that there were some like deep, profound, universal answer that makes it sound destined to be, but. Um, I read solicitations every month and like Kieran Gillen. Yeah, yeah, that's a perfect answer. Um, <laughs> I will it's also like, say for new, the record... New, new Kieran Gillen book? I'm getting it. I will also say for the record, I also, in equal measure, like Caspar Wingard. Um, but I, Absolutely. I do not think Caspar Wingard was quite as crystallized in my head yet until this book. Yeah. Um, he had, I think done some issues of star wars here and there or maybe those were even after this um and i had not read limbo yet which was his book with uh dan waters that sort of predated and eventually a sequel to it became um homesick pilots yeah the comic that we the, the, the comic we both equally fucking love yeah which i also assume will someday be an episode of this podcast um oh yeah it will it will Things though to 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 make make it make sense why I jumped onto this book. Uh, Kieran Gillen is for me one of those writers who I usually trade weight for because mm-hmm. he writes complex books that usually run for a long time and pay off over time, mm-hmm. um, and I absorb them better if I read them in trades. Um, 
also a thing about me that I can't imagine I haven't mentioned on here before. I low-key kind of hate Watchmen. Um, I feel like maybe that's been mentioned before. Maybe. And it's not Uh, that I think Watchmen is of poor quality. No. Now, there is another argument I will make that says, if it has been 40 years and you still think that's the best comic ever written, maybe you don't actually like comics, maybe you like Watchmen. Um, Fair. And I will also say, certainly there are bad takes about Watchmen out there. But when I say I kind of low-key hate Watchmen, um, there is a worldview that it kind of is built in that is so antithetical to who I am, which is why I actually really adore well-made counterpoints to Watchmen. Yeah. The prime example, of course, of that for me is DC The New Frontier. Which is... I think just the quintessential, stop being so pessimistic, you jackass, but also, like, (laughs) great job take on that book. Um, But the idea of Kieran Gillen writing a short form that I can read monthly and then grab a trade of later, uh, a short form comic that, it wasn't advertised this way, but it's Kieran Gillen, so of course it's going to digest Watchmen in a more contemporary view that was something that very much appealed to me so that's really what made it must read beyond just the basic I probably would have read issue one regardless right right yeah I I remember in our first conversation when when you brought this up uh, you you did mention that this was a a book that uh, tackled the the I tackled basically the, like as you mentioned the bad takes of Watchmen, um and and the impact of those bad takes and also the impact. Child, child. I do not know. I I never know what's going on with it. What? I can't do anything right now. I'm sorry. I love you. Um, I'm keeping all of that in. So. Yeah, no, I, 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 I do, I do like that. I, that's one of my favorite aspects about this comic is that the is the tackling of Watchmen, and that, and I'm saying that as someone who does, who, who does like Watchmen, um, go listen to the three hour episode I did with Case and Parish uh, for proof of that. Um, so I will say this: I like this more than Watchmen. There you go. Yay! I win. Cue <laughs> up, cue up the scene from from Uncut Gems. This is how I win. I would have to watch it first, but uh, ah, you know. bad at movies. My brand remains eternal. Um, Absolutely. The other thing that obviously not something I necessarily know from. The other thing I think that this book does that is interesting is it's not just about Watchmen. It's oh, no. also interacting with, or at least commenting, building on, trying to digest some combination of all of those. Um, because I think Kieran Gillen comes from the same place that Rom V explicitly has said he comes from. He thinks that the best comics try to ask more questions than they try to answer. 
mm-hmm. I don't know that Karen Gillan would say there is an answer to anything in this explicitly other than the core thesis that comes at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. But there is an attempt in here, I think, to digest and work through the moving parts of major writers whose works came after Watchmen and were informed and influenced by Watchmen. And I think, by and large, those writers are also British writers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, also, also, I want I want to mention also that he is he he, he mentions at the end of uh, at the end of the 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 Peter of the of the trade that um that we both have um there is a section of like the the planning out yeah uh, the the out the out like the, the pitch document yeah the pitch document of like of like pitching issue by issue and he mentions uh i think when he's ta- this like discussing the fourth issue uh he's talking about how he is not like a he's not a big fan of deconstruction that says one way is better than the other mm-hmm. in regards to comics which I agree, and yet the comics that he does mention, or at least one of them, I do love. Like one, because one he mentions is uh, is Flex Mentalo, which is a comic I, do, I I really really love. It's one of my favorite Grant Morrison books. Um, hey, look, I finally mentioned their name uh, on an episode again. So, uh, put another tally on on the board. Um, I mean, if you hadn't, I was gonna. It's literally on the on the list of bullet points here that I'm about to rattle off. <laughs> yeah, but like. He, uh, Gillen, but Gillen basically just is basically just saying that he is in the uh, he says that he is in the um, the best comics are the um, do something new corner mm-hmm. uh, and that it's like or, comics can't be anything essentially it's like it doesn't like like there is no right or wrong way to do comics um, this just like what like whatever works for you works and. And that's all there is to it. That's yeah. all you need to do. And th- and that's like another core theme in this book of it doesn't like just put, strive just strive for something new. Well, and I would also point people toward. Um, I usually hesitate to mention uh, bleeding cool because I think they do a lot of, let's say, questionably ethical journalism air quotes but as this book was coming out they published a commentary essay for each issue written by gillen and one of the things that gillen talks about in that is which writer each issue is kind of structured around which i'll I'll rattle those off in a second but a lot of the the kind of conflict that you you recognize you, you sort of just alluded to between these different voices and these different styles and the idea that superhero comics are somehow inherently oversimplified or bad or less true or less cool, but also the idea that maybe they are all those things. Like, the moments and the story dictate that and the execution dictate that, I think, largely for him. Yeah. Um, the the writers that each issue is kind of based around and same caveat like each of these is kind of the core of of each issue but each issue is not only these 
Um, and he talks about that in particular with number three. Like, number three is definitely pulling from a lot of people, but kind of the code name he gave for it was, or gave for it, and gave it in his own notes, was was for this writer. So number one is Warren Ellis. It's very authority, bombastic, aliens are attacking. Yes. Number two is um, Grant... By, by the way, also, I don't usually like mentioning his name on here, but fuck Warren Ellis. I know, but we had to to acknowledge the, the influence. Yeah. Um, the frustrating thing about Warren Ellis is, while his behavior is reprehensible, he's talented and has influenced a lot of really good writers by virtue of that. Yes. Um, so... But fuck Warren Ellis. Yes. Um, issue two is the Grant Morrison issue, which, yeah. uh, as we talk about it, I think becomes very obvious at one point. The team literally travels the multiverse by laying on the ground, drawing two-thirds of a nine-panel grid page on them, and laying a title card underneath. Yep. Um, yeah. Issue three is the Mark Miller issue, which again by... That definitely tracks. <laughs> by by Gillen's explanation, the violence, the fight throughout it, the sort of just brutality of that issue... Uh, largely owes itself to Miller, and there are some other influences that creep into that one. Number yes. four is probably the most purely singly influenced issue. That is Eddie Campbell, specifically Eddie Campbell's comic Alec, which I am not at all familiar with, but I recognize the style as I read it and reread it as being of a part of like early 90s zine-style self-published British comics. Yes, very much so. And the fifth and final issue. Uh, JD, do you have a guess at this one? This is this is the kind of bullshit answer I would give if I had to guess. And I read and I was like, oh, thank God, because I could not have answered it otherwise. I mean, I feel like I have someone in mind, but, but go ahead. Who do you have in mind? I don't want to say. Go ahead. <laughs> It's the Kieran Gillen issue, because any conclusion to the story must be a function of synthesis, and if he is writing this comic in conversation with everyone else he has already mentioned in the first four issues, the only way he can end it is by being himself. Okay, yeah. That was the answer I was actually going to give. <laughs> yeah. I did it. I, I, I was, like, you, said, you said bullshit answer, but, but actually right, and I was like... Do I do I say Kieran Gillen? Do I say it? <laughs> I knew you had it. I knew you had it. I had faith in you. But also I wasn't going to bully you into saying it. Um, number five is the Kieran Gillen issue. Yeah, that tracks. Uh, you yeah, when you when you say issue three is the Mark Miller issue, I'm like, fuck, that that is that is that is especially true because of all just like I feel like not only that. Uh, I, I feel like another writer. Uh, you did you did mention that it's like it's not just Mark, like Mark Miller is like the main, the main yeah person. But there are others. I feel like another one you could throw in maybe Rob Kirkman because sure. I got I I got I got invincible vibes from that, um, especially the um, slaughtering of heroes. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's always the like. There's no way that Gillen writes this in a vacuum of writing violence without being aware of that. I think at some point, like the 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 bleeding cool essay, the commentary track, he 
he very much seemed hesitant to like even name the name, but knew that he would never hear the end of it if he didn't. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's largely because there are other influences that clearly are born out of the same tradition and have moved that tradition forward. Miller to Kirkman makes a lot of sense. I think mm-hmm. if you're going for like pure, purest academic British comic book answer, like that's got to be Miller hands down. Um, yes. And of course, you know, before that doing um, Morrison, the shit heap and, 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 and the overall comic riffing on Alan Moore, like that, that all tracks. Yeah. And, I mean, like I say, it bleeds all around when he talks about the first three pages and the reveal from... In fact, let's talk about the first three pages. Let's actually talk yeah, about let, what's going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah um, we should actually talk about the comic itself. <laughs> he he cites Morrison and All-Star Superman in particular as an influence kind of in reverse on these opening pages. Yeah. Um, he does this cool trick that is so not Karen Gillan and so against his normal style and sensibility, where the first three pages of this are just splash pages... Yeah. And page it's four. also very and, and 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 you mentioned the shit heap. I we we have to. He does mention the authority as an influence there because the, the authority opens with three like three splash pages of a of cities being destroyed and yeah. people dying, and that's how this opens. Um, but the build to the page five reveal, he also like very much looks at as cribbing from All Star Superman. Um. You get these big splash pages. Page four is the introduction to the team, which is a single panel page. And then it turns around and reveals Peter Cannon standing in the window. And then you're to nine panel grid. Because Watchmen. Have we, I guess we haven't made explicit. And this is maybe a piece of Watchmen lore that, to me, actually, this is the character who I would have been least able prior to this book to make the historical connection to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, generally speaking, if you're aware of who the Charlton characters are, and you've read Watchmen and you've read some of those, you've, you've seen the connections there. Like, Owlman to Blue Beetle, uh, the Atom to Dr. Manhattan, etc. Yeah. But yeah. the one who, for a long time, I never would have been able to name, to the point that I think for a while I thought he was even just an invention for Watchmen, was Ozymandias. Peter Cannon is who Ozymandias was based on. This yes. is the, the character that originally sort of influenced, and back when back when Watchmen was supposed to be, the Charlton characters would have been the Ozymandias figure. Right. Yeah, so for anyone who's, like, not super familiar with Peter Cannon, it's the blueprint for Ozymandias. Right, and also with, like, the ending, like, the the end reveal of the first issue to show the alternate version of Peter Cannon, who in this comic, like, to keep things clear, because we meet three different versions of Peter Cannon, to keep them clear, it's like you have the version that we follow our main one we call him canon the evil version from the multiverse we call him thunderbolt and then the uh, mundane normal everyday the mundane historian we meet is named pete pete uh, i love pete pete is great everyone everyone from the mundane world is just precious and must be protected. I, yes yes i i want to hug all of them which i love because that's actually so integral to the evolution of peter canon throughout this story Absolutely, uh, because like he starts off this comic as saying, 
I do not like humanity. Why the fuck would I help you? Because that yeah. was the whole thing about about him is that he it, it, like taboo reveals to the team and and and, and also to the audience that the the like the reason why peter doesn't do superheroic stuff um unless the unless the superheroes goad him into doing it is because he like uh his 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 parents were killed and he was taken in by a village uh by like by like a society like a like a group of people who who raised him and that entire uh people were uh were murdered were killed. They were wiped and... out by a plague. Yeah, yeah. The that's same right, plague like, his parents had come to try to help cure. Yes, uh, and uh, th- and he basically just sees that it's like, you know, the rest of the world didn't come to the aid of these people who were who were beautiful and had a and had a rich history and rich culture. Why then? Why would I help the rest of the world? Yeah. Well, part of that is, I mean, there's a trauma there too, which is. He lost yes. his family, he lost his sort of adoptive family, and then felt the weight of having to carry on their secrets and history and tradition, and also not feeling worthy of that. Yeah, Tebu does mention that he's like, he, he, says, he says, Peter knows that he is not, that he is, uh, he, that he is unworthy, but he knows that he must still do it. Yeah. Which is also which is like, just... m- metagaming is very much this... Yeah, we know this. There's some colonialist bullshit in the history of this character. We can't change that. We just have to deal with writing this character and evolving this character, regardless of that. Yeah, we like, know he like, doesn't deserve it either. Yeah, it's like you know, highly successful, like rich-looking white man having an assistant who is a person of color. Danny is... Rand, Iron Fist. Yeah. Uh, Stephen but Strange, I... Sorcerer Supreme. Mm, yes. Uh, thankfully, thankfully, Doc, I feel like Doctor Strange does is doing be- has has done better with that, making yeah. Wong more of an e- like making Wong more of an equal, and and also just like and also just making him like question everything Stephen does is well, is pretty great. Also, the MCU solution to that was very good. Yeah, it's like no, he's one of his teachers. He's not an assistant. He's like he's he's one of the people who like has to teach Steven, and then well, now they're on the same level, and then Wong becomes a Sorcerer Supreme. I was gonna say, there's also the thing we learn in, in No Way Home, which is, yeah. Steven Wong lost rigged, the title. Wong outrigged yeah. Steven. <laughs> yeah. Which is pretty great, and, and Steven just has to deal with that, and Wong's just like, yeah, I know I'm better than you. Traditionally, just, we bow to our bow betters. betters. God, I... Oh, so you have seen Multiverse of Madness. I have. Yeah. No. So, what okay. were you referencing? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then, then, qu- then, like, quick five second sidebar. What are your feelings on the movie? Um, in a vacuum, I love the movie as a whole, but I think what they did to Wanda is absolutely a disgrace. Okay. Fair. Wanda, after Wanda Vision, should have been allowed to get to be happy and should not have been cast as a villain. And I think that the one flaw structurally that the movie really has is that it voices the hypocrisy of doing that to her, but never gives anyone any real consequence in the runtime of the movie for the hypocrisy of doing that to her. I, yes. I I, I, I can agree with that. Yeah. But if that character were simply named, I don't know, Melinda the Mage, I wouldn't give a fuck, it'd be great. Yeah. 
um, also all the Raimi stuff in it. I'm not a huge Raimi person. I was actually surprised by how much I liked it, because I'm not normally a huge Raimi person. Yeah, I, 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 I especially love Zombie Strange. That was my favorite part. <laughs> just get into all those Evil Dead zombie shots, and then just all crooked and weird looking like a dead eye. It, was, it made me happy. Okay, sidebar over, continuing on. <laughs> Um, I love the conscious decision to not do the obvious thing and use either direct analogs to Watchmen or even Justice League characters and to consciously Instead doing for- Avengers? Yeah, because... And this is in the back matter of the the trade, I believe. It might have been in the issue one commentary. Yeah. But there's a there's way more we're going to write parody versions of the Justice League. There, than yeah, there's more of a ten, there's write. more of a t- there's more of a tendency to do that. And I think the reason for that is simple. It's the Justice League it's the way people describe the difference between Marvel and DC in general, right? Like the Justice League is more archetypical. It's easier to write archetypes to them than to just specifically the Avengers. Um But I actually think Gillen does a really good job of crafting those Avengers analogs. Yeah. Um, like and- doing like his like his version of Captain America is like taking like the old idea of or like, like the old theory of James Bond of like James Bond is actually a title, so Captain America yeah. here is a title that is passed down, uh, and, and this is just the newest version. And he feels a little more U.S. agent, and like you can kind as of he put it as he put it neocon Captain America. It, yeah, U.S. agent <laughs> in the nineties. Um, yeah. Somewhere over there, I've got my Funko uh, Steve Rogers Nomad. Um, yeah. It's not a joke. I actually have that. It's great. Um, I, I I didn't. I I wasn't taking it as a joke. I mean, I, I'm an audience. If you were taking it as a joke, then 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 shame. Shame. No, on no. That feels like something that should be a joke. That feels like like a punchline. Yeah, I have so many Funko Pops. The only one I'm missing is Steve Rogers as Nomad. Um, oh. I am like I I am I'll, I'll say this right now. Next time I go to my comic book shop, I am getting the Frank Walker from Tomorrowland Funko Pop that has been sitting in that shop ever since I walked in. Because I am someone who does like that movie, and why the hell not should I own a Funko Pop of George, of a George Clooney character from a Brad Bird Disney movie? That's <laughs> why not? Fair. Um. My white whale right now. Apparently, there is a frog of thunder pop that is a Target exclusive, but is not listed I, I, on their website. What? You you no you you can't drop that knowledge on me and not expect me to buy this. What the what the I fuck? I mean, obviously, you've never seen the the wallpaper on my phone, but uh, this is my lock screen. It is throg. Yeah. Um, this is a digression. Um, but, like, you can kind of sort of split up the personality traits of the Watchmen characters and randomly assign them to certain Avengers, and it works pretty yeah. well. Like, the mm-hmm. Iron Man analog gets to be a little bit Owlman. Or, yeah, Owlman. Mm-hmm. And um, I forget the name of the the 
the Hulk equivalent, but the Hulk equivalent very oh, clearly I, I, gets I, a lot of Doctor Manhattan. I feel like was it? I think it was just the suit or 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 the suit or no. It had that character had some sort of like sciency name. Um, the test nucleon was nucleon. There was yeah. the test who is the is the Rorschach. The Rorschach or, or and in question in, or or uh. I forget what what was the one that they were using. In Marvel terms, they're almost like a Wolverine analog. That's they're right. This... Basically, he was he was basically saying like or the the, the, the loner. Dead yeah, Deadpool. Yeah. Moon Knight was another one uh, he mentioned. Like talk like if we decide like if they decided to go into like the more uh, like conspiracy theory yeah route like the question or Rorschach yeah um and all these characters get those moments of being like their Watchmen counterparts. And I love the way he does this, because the way he does this is, as you travel into alternate universes, you take on some of the characteristics of the indigenous version of yourself, of the local version of yourself. So when Nucleon travels to Thunderbolt's dimension, Nucleon suddenly sees every point in time the way that Dr. Manhattan does. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, do you have a favorite member of this team? Because I do. If I if I got to say, Kieran Gillen, you have to write a mini series about one other character from this team. I let have me, my let, answer with a bullet. Let me refresh my my memory on the name really quick. Uh, I believe the name is said. They're all named. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm trying to find. They're all named on like page four. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to find the name here. I, for some reason, cannot find their name. Uh, but the but uh, the Baba Yaga character. Baba Yaga. That okay. That is their name. That is that is her name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's Baba Yaga. It's Baba Yaga. Hands down. Baba, no question. Yeah. Yeah. That that because here's the thing. Also, like looking at that character, I'm like that looks like a character straight ripped straight out of Homesick Pilots too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I was like, oh yeah. There's a reason why. There's a reason why. Uh. Why why Casper Wingard uh, uh drew that drew that series now. Yeah. The the Black Widow analog is equal parts Black Widow and Scarlet Witch. Yeah, I think he. I think he. He name dropped Doctor Strange, but I like. I like Scarlet Witch better. I like that. I like. I that, mean, that makes more, that makes more sense. Yeah, I'm sorry if I'm thinking of Marvel characters who are Eastern European witches. That is probably the first place I will go. I did. I did not read the back matter. I skimmed the back matter. Full disclosure: I, I finished my reread at about 15 minutes before we said we would record. Yes, which was. Um, uh, which we start recording an hour after that <laughs> because we are who we are yes we know this about ourselves fallible maybe but definitely predictable always um so they decide so they they stop this alien invasion in, invasion after after peter has uh con- has consulted after canon has consulted the scrolls but he reveals a taboo he's like yeah so I did this, and Tabby was like, "I'm sorry, the fuck." And he's like, "No, no, 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 no." He's like, "No, no, 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 no." I personally didn't do this, 
a version of of me did this and he's probably watching us right now looking looking directly into the camera and then we get and then we get to see Ozymandias uh version of P- of Thunderbolt sitting in a chair and he's like I mean someone that was going to have to figure it out might as well have been me. Yeah. Um this is kind of the thing that I love the most just in terms of style about Gillen's writing is Gillen Gillen has a flair for the like almost self-deprecating snark like that kind of wry witty response that is fine fuck it yeah this tracks <laughs> yeah yeah that 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 is definitely his style i'm 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 it, right now imagining every moment ever from wicked and the divine yeah um young avengers young avengers i have die. not read die yet I read the first issue and loved it and said to myself, I will write like this best if I read it in trade. I have, however, backed the Kickstarter for the Die tabletop RPG. Uh, why did I not know that was that was going to happen? Of, of I don't course know. it was going to happen. Of it course ended it was like going to happen. Two days ago, but it will get a release beyond just the Kickstarter. They've already said like it will get there will be a place to go pre-order and all that. I hope so, because I, I will get that. Yeah. I, I I am currently in the middle of, of a TTRPG campaign for the first time in my life. Uh so so I I'm now like I want more. I need more. Yes, it is it cut is a habit Ale- that once it gets its hooks in you, keeps you. Cut to Alex and I starting a campaign. <laughs> I mean, okay, hang on. Um I'm not Here's the thing. Actually- Here's the thing, Al, uh, here's the thing, Alex. I know, I know of a good one uh, that we will talk about off mic. Uh, that that you, me, that you, I, and Meg can do. Um, this just happened to be leaning Uh-oh. against the leg of my desk. Uh oh. Uh oh. No. Published in. 2004, which frankly is... No, I guess that tracks. I was going to say, that's later than I expected, but no, the series started in 99. Um, I do have the official role-playing game and resource book for The Authority. Oh my god. It all comes back. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Um, that is not the one I was thinking of. I we, we will talk. We will talk about it later. What I was thinking. What 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 one I was thinking of. Marvel's um, also putting one out. Although I'm hearing kind of mixed reviews about it right now. It sounds like. It sounds like yeah. they're still play testing it. Sound like I think it's a beta version that they released. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Then we dive into issue two, the the Morrison issue, apparently. Um, of of all of these issues, if there is one other... Okay, four is probably the most obvious if you know who the reference is. But of all of these issues, the one that was most immediately to me... Ah, yes, this... I don't even need to look and see who Gillen is modeling this after one. It is number two. It is so Grant Morrison. Yeah, we get we, we, we like we get the whole... Canon is explaining the situation to, to, to the superhero team. They're just like... Sure, we'll go along with this. Um, what do you mean he created an alien army? I've dabbled with willing things into existence. No, 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 no. 
I'm not saying he used magic. I'm saying he created it. I created a dragon once. It's much harder. Yeah, and she's like, oh, like, yeah, I totally, like, yeah, I, like, yeah, I conjured up a dragon. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I didn't conjure one. I made a dragon. What does that mean? Honestly, I don't know, but I did it. <laughs> it Which didn't is... work. It... <laughs> I love that moment so much. And she's like, what do you mean you made one? He's like, honestly, I don't know. I don't know, but I did it is maybe the most Grant Morrison line ever written by someone who is not Grant Morrison. Yeah. Am I wrong? I mean, look, here's the thing. Um, I have been labeled, I have officially been labeled by Ministeel as the Grant Morrison expert. So speaking as the Grant Morrison expert, um, I can say, yes, you are correct. It is the most Morrison line ever to be written, not written by Morrison. Cool. So we get that we get like the the them travel like I and also it is also such a fucking Morrison idea to travel through dimensions using a nine a physical nine panel grid. Like it's so I'm good. surprised and Morrison hasn't done it yet. And we haven't really other than just both acknowledging how much we love his work talked about Casper Wingard in this book. Oh my god. God, every 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 panel is fucking great. It is it is interesting to me. I had forgotten Wingard did not color himself because I at this point am very used to him coloring himself. And yeah, this was this was colored by uh, uh, Mary Safro, and she does a great job coloring him. It looks fantastic, but the pages that I think feel the most Wingard to me are the most meta pages. Yes, or like the. Um... When we get when we get the like them actually traveling traveling through the multiverses, so you exactly, have like yeah. the like like the nine panel grid like like kind like like uh like in the background out like slightly out of focus all the different dimensions in each panel mm-hmm. with them traveling clock like clockwise throughout while still on the like, on the grid all of them reacting to these dimensions and kind of losing their shit about what they're seeing. Yeah, especially um, I think the 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 character called Supreme Justice, the, uh-huh. the Captain America analog. Like <laughs> when him, they finally land, he's just in the fetal position, curled in a ball. He's just like so many universes, so <laughs> many of them. <laughs> At that moment, I was like, "You are a bit of a fascist," but I feel sorry for you for this one moment. Yeah, because that 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 is hard on that would be hard on anybody. And Candace is like. Yeah, we're here. Uh, this is Los Angeles, and it's fucked. And then a robot taboo are, shows up. Are you sure it's Los Angeles? Shot of a Hollywood sign over sign. Peter Cannon's shoulder. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and then robot taboo shows up, and it's the saddest fucking interaction of all time. It is. Content warning for that moment. Uh, he says, uh, he gave me wrists that I couldn't slice. And, oh, good lord. Uh, that... Yeah. That was the moment where I was like, "No, my 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 something literally dropped," and I and I. Yeah. There was no other reaction to that moment. Well, and it's it's. I was surprised rereading this. How little of, original universe Peter Cannon's original universe taboo, there actually is in the series as well because I well, remember he's not that, that being. Much. I remember that being so core to this book, that relationship. But I guess I guess the alternate taboo is part of how that gets set up. Because what we really see is... 
I mean, what we're really seeing is, in a way, the the most extremely cold version, the most Machiavellian version of Peter Cannon, and what the cost of that absolute rejection of his humanity means. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we only get Cannon's version of Taboo throughout the, f- the first issue a little bit in this issue and then like and the last the very few pages end of, the, of yeah yeah the very end of the, of the whole story he's yeah he like the, the the taboo that we they were introduced to is not in this as much as i as i thought he was going to be yeah. uh when so, i started reading it let me ask you i know we're like way further into the episode you had asked me how i came to read this book and we talked about that i read it as it came out i reread it today when did you actually get to read this for the first time? Was that preparing for this episode, or had you it read was. it? It was. Okay, it was. Cool. It was. It was. It was last night, reading it. Cool. Uh, which I, which before recording, since you were re- since you were still reading, I should be reread. I was fl- flipping through it, and I read. I was reading the back matter of it as well. So can we? I want to ask the question. I know we should have had this conversation earlier. Whatever. Inter- <laughs> interlude issue three interlude. Um. What were you expecting this book to be, and how much was or wasn't it that? To be quite frank, I didn't really know what I was getting into with okay. this book. I, I, I remember you, uh, the only things I remember you mentioning this to me were it was, it was riffing heavily on Watchmen, uh, and it was kind of a, kind of a response to the, um, the cultural impact, uh, good bad and neutral that that has that that uh that that has brought and also that each issue was riffing on a specific writer while reading it i was trying to figure out what each issue it was they it was they were riffing on and i could not for the life of me figure it out because uh i am not always great with uh with recognizing styles that's fair Unless I'm actually reading the thing from that person, I'm just like, oh yeah, this is definitely from this person. So, uh, awkward question to ask 50 minutes in, almost 51 minutes in. Did you enjoy it? Oh, I, I fucking love this thing. Okay, cool. I'm this glad. is, this, uh, this is definitely like in the top three things that you've ever, uh, recommended to me. I, I, cool. I fucking love it. I fucking yeah. love this thing. I, I low-key think this is actually one of the best comic book miniseries out there. Maybe not for someone who's totally new to comics, because it does trade a lot on history. Yeah, um, Although I think what, it that... would still be very enjoyable. But I think if you're, like, someone who has read a lot of comics, this is, there's like, a reason a why great... this is a There's a reason why this is a long-haul episode. Yeah. Like, which I just, which I just realized, I did not intro this as a long haul episode. I intro this as a as a comics quest episode, and I'm going to leave that in because yeah. that is my fuck up, and I and I accept it. You know what? It happens. Uh, sometimes, sometimes you don't realize you're on the long haul until you're already there. Yeah. Um. Okay, cool. I'm like, because like realistically. This is probably one of my favorite comic miniseries. It's not something that gets talked about much at all. No, but truly, I adore this book. Yeah, this is yeah. I I did not know about this until you until you mentioned it to me, and I I fucking adore this thing. This is cool. This is beautiful. I loved it. Uh, so the end of the, so to to wrap up the end of this issue, we, we taboo this this alternate taboo that we that we meet. Uh, 
brings the team along with Cannon to meet Thunderbolt um, again, who's just long, who's just long-haired uh, Ozymandias, and uh, and the test like taps into Rorschach so hard and be, mm-hmm. and, and is just and like drops a like a near a near uh quote of Rorschach was like in, e- even in the face of Armageddon he says like in even in the face of Armageddon never compromise your absurdity yes <laughs> which is a great line <laughs> that's a beautiful line i love that line it's so good there's another great uh in issue 4 there's another great um Rorschach paraphrasing that yeah we'll get to oh yeah we'll, yeah we'll get to that um but yeah, and then and then the test gets blown up, <laughs> Rorschach style. Yeah, uh, and Thunderbolt's just like, okay, I'll never. He's like, I think he says like, I'll never. I uh, see, I'll never get tired of doing that. Yeah, which which is like a very funny but sadistic line. Well, I mean, he says. I think this is the issue where he says explicitly, like, if I have to dro- to destroy a thousand Earths to save a thousand and one. It will have been worth it. Like, oh yeah, Str- like straight up Ozymandias of like like, you know I I don't remember if I don't remember if this is in the comic but uh, in in the Watchmen comic but I definitely remember this from the movie where Night Owl screams at Ozymandias is like you're killing millions where Ozymandias then responds with to save billions and it's like yeah but no you can't do that man that's yeah. not how this works. I love though the like ver- this version of of. Ozymandias of Peter Cannon. Thunderbolt, like, is such an extreme version of that just to the side of true neutral will make him good in his own mind that is just so unquestionably evil. <laughs> right, yeah. And we and, and that, that becomes more apparent when we dive into issue three, where nuclear, distri- as you mentioned earlier, like, kind of becomes like taps into the dr manhattan role by you know seeing every uh, saving seeing all time all at once and saying no we're all going to die so i he's going to kill us all i am not a huge like fights are the best part of comics person in fact i'm very much the opposite um the reason i became a huge fan of magdalene visaccio for example was between issues of, like, three and four of the original Kim and Kim, three ends with this huge battle starting, and four is, like, two weeks later, everyone finally doesn't feel like shit. The whole battle was left off the page, and the end of that miniseries was just about people dealing with where they are as people as a result of everything that's just happened. Right. We get a version of that later in, in Peter Cannon, where the big fight between Peter and Thunderbolt is off-paddle, and we just get, like, some some handwritten, scrawled-in captions and robo-taboo watching. That is in my top five moments from this comic. But with all of that said, this is one of the best fights in comics. <laughs> I, I, the thing is, I, every, ev- like, generally, everything you've mentioned, with the exception of Kim and Kim, just because I haven't read Kim and Kim yet, I will get to it, Magdalene Fasagio is our god, um, I, I agree with everything you said, uh, I, I, 
I I'm gen- like I I do like action in comics because you know I'm a super I, I love su- I love my superhero comics. I am a, a massive Donny Cates fan, and Donny Cates loves his big action a- action scenes. The thing is, though, it it takes it takes a special skill set to be yeah. able to properly execute fight scenes in a com- in a comic book. And it's just they're not like like comics are not generally built to accommodate action scenes especially fight scenes well and i think i think there are two things at play here one one of the things i think is low-key casper wingard like one of casper wingard's secret weapon right i do not think this is the thing necessarily that people think of when they think of his work i think i think vaporwave cartoon is probably where most people go first in the best possible way he uses lots of blues and pinks and purples and tends to be a little more stylized. Castle Wingard, if you're listening, please draw a Scooby-Doo comic. With that said, I think the thing that he deserves so much credit for being good at is actually drawing really visually interesting fights. And I think action in comics, as a general thing is even a little easier than fights because you can get set set piece moments. Yes. You can get beats that are action heavy and dynamic. I'm actually drawing. I'm I'm currently thinking right now of like specific like air travel chase scenes. Yeah. Are perfect for comics. Actually drawing a fight, I think is really difficult. And certainly he's not the only one who's good at it. But the reason I say, I think this is a secret weapon of his is because... If you asked me, Alex, name the best fight sequence in comics. The answer is, I think it's either issue four or issue five of Homesick Pilots. The fight with the tape monster. I, I'm i currently blanking because it's been it's been a long time since I read it. That's and, fair. And I, and I have trouble uh, retaining information. <laughs> That's fine. That's fair. Point being, like, the common denominator here is Casper Wingard. <laughs> He is two of my all-time favorite comic book fights, and truth be told, like, if you said Alex name a third one right now, I'd go, uh, uh, that spider, or that Fantastic Four backup where Reed Richards and Doctor Doom play chess in the park? Um... I was going to point to uh, anytime Kel- uh, anytime Black Widow does a thing in Black Widow by oh, Kelly Thompson. Yeah, Elena and... Casagrande is also incredible at fight scenes. Yes. Es- oh my god, especially drawing Black Widow because it's just, yeah. it's fucking perfect. Um, I'm, 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 I'm very disappointed that ended. <laughs> me too. Although apparently we're getting like a mini series to tie everything up. Good. Yeah. Um... I think Casper Wingard is half of the secret sauce here. The other half is Nucleon. Because the entire setup of this fight plays as a comedic beat. A very darkly comedic beat. Yeah, but a comedic Nucle- beat. Yeah, because Nucleon just points out, like, yeah, we're all going to die. Like, you're going to die first, then you're going to die, then you're going to die. and then It's I'm not gonna- even just that. It's like, Nucleon, help us. No, 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 I die last. <laughs> I cannot help you yet because I have seen that I don't help you. Which is so Dr. Manhattan, but it is this like reduction to the absurd of Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, because if because if this were Watchmen, that would be played deadly serious and it would be awful. 
saying that as someone who likes that comic, but it would be awful. Yeah. I mean, it's... This is also my relationship to nihilism, right? Which is part of what I reject in Watchmen, is this cynical, nihilistic vein that runs through it. Mm-hmm. The the healthy version of nihilism, um, the, ver- the brand of nihilism that I think actually is meaningful, mm-hmm. um, which I actually think uh, Wasted Space, the Michael Moretzi Hayden Sherman book, really nailed its ending by tying a bow on this brand of nihilism Mm -hmm. is if nothing matters, then the choices you make, make anything matter. Which feels like where Peter ends up or a version of where Peter ends up here. Right. Ultimately, Peter's like, I, Doing doing this thing, being a person is hard, but I've never been one to turn away from the hard thing. He yes. chooses to do it and therefore it becomes important to him and is a rejection of this sort of, well, no, it's predetermined. What will be, will be. It's why I love his catchphrase so much. We haven't talked about the, the Peter Cannon catchphrase. I can, I must, I will. Yeah. Which he actually only says once in the book, but was like, I think in the trade dress for every issue, or prominently featured somewhere in the trade dress for every issue, mm-hmm. um, or somewhere in like the layout interior to the book of every issue. But that idea of, okay, I have the ability to do the thing, which means I must do it. Ethically, I must try. But then that determination to succeed, like, it is simply, in the real world, this is not how it works. You can't just choose. There's luck and knowing people and oppressive political systems that you work against and that work against you. But this is the promise of superheroes. This is the thing that I reject in Watchmen is the value of superheroes is having people who are not bound by that reality, who can, by choosing to do good, do good and the message that even if you can't always win doing good will make the world a better place it's why i hate the gritty reboots it's why i will never fall in line with the the zack snyder verse it's why i don't like the cynicism of the original watchman that says we held to these standards and they failed us did we fail us or did they fail us or did we fail them like that yeah. is not a deep thought but that's why I think I, – I, I, we, we, this is not a movie we have talked about at all, but this is actually why I love The Batman that came out this year. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Well, to kind of give, like, very mild spoilers, like, this w- – w- throughout that movie, like, it's very apparent that, that, that Bruce Wayne is an antisocial loner, like Batman is, um, but by the end of that movie – uh, having interacted with all these people who are within the system, outside of the system, trying to change the system, trying to keep the status quo, he realizes that he can't be a a symbol for vengeance like he thought he he should. He has to be a symbol for hope, and he is. I thought you were going to say he has to be a symbol for the Vinga bus. I was so close. <laughs> That was that was that honestly that was what I thought was going to happen when I was sitting in the theater. But when he said, it, I was like, okay, that makes sense too. I guess. Yes, father, I shall become a boss. 
the Batman bus is coming. <laughs> I love that we're friends. Me too. So, oh, uh, I get the, away so, with so much. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, everyone dies, including Nucleon. And uh, then. Well, no, hang on. Nucleon does not die in this issue. That's right. Nucleon, Nucleon dies like, in the future, which incapacitates Nucleon in the past. Because Nucleon is so high on his Dr. Manhattan bullshit that that takes him out of play. Her out of play? Them out of play. I them out of play. I don't know either. We'll say them. Yeah. We'll say them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Peter is like, all right, I got to get out of here. So find a, find a nine panel grid. And just jump through it. He It's not even fight a nine panel grid. He uses the test's blood as an escape door. Which he draws one just, out of the test's blood. Which is such a, such a wonderful little beat. And he escapes through and then he lands in the uh um, the mundane the, world. The, mun- the mundane world. Which uh I think is a is a good good place for us to uh quickly uh uh the conversation here for a second take a break uh uh listeners you'll be uh hearing an ad from a certain pov pot from another certain pov show um and we'll be right back after that ad did you know rob thomas has been writing since the mid 90s the matchbox 20 guy no the guy behind veronica mars oh and i zombie and cupid party down the cupid reboot i haven't seen me neither but we should watch them and then talk about them on our podcast yes we could call it the rob thomas no not that one robcast every other tuesday with alex and mj find us at not that robcast.libsyn.com or wherever you download podcasts and we're back we totally did not take over an hour on a break totally didn't happen i'm just no that would be wildly out of character for the two of us absolutely taking an hour-long break just to talk about musicals and musical theater and yeah not no and fucking spiders yeah we don't do that ever now see the way you phrase that implies that you are overcompensating for actually fucking spiders well, like the Australians say, we don't come here to fuck spiders. We come here to talk about comics. It's true. That's actually on all of their currency. Yeah, it's like whenever yeah, whenever you enter uh not only that, but also whenever you enter in the country. Alex, you can attest to this cuz you've you've lived there. Uh whenever you get your your uh you get your passport stamped, uh it's actually there's actually a stamp a second stamp that they have that they're legally obligated to to uh use on your passport. Um that says that exact thing. Yeah, well, sometimes they even just happen to pull a spider out of the corner of the room and just squish it into the book as that second stamp. Yeah, that works too. That I, I, I've, yeah. I've heard tell of that one as well. The endangered ones are exceptionally collectible. Very much so. Yeah, I, I, I've, I, I once saw, uh, I once saw one of those passports uh, go for about three thousand. Yeah, I'm mistaken. But that's that that saying we're we're not here to fuck spiders. We're here to talk about comics. That actually got Tom Taylor in a lot of trouble when he started writing Spider Man. I would imagine so, uh, because um, yeah, 
Yeah, because uh, well, I don't know. We do like to keep we do like to keep Peter depressed, so you know we definitely can't fuck spiders. Look, um, I don't know if we've talked a whole lot about my current feelings about the Spider-Man comics, but unless you want this to be a six-hour podcast, <laughs> we probably we don't t- want to go we there. We can't talk about it. I miss the Beyond era already. I still have not caught up in a long time, but we're not here to talk about Spider-Man. We're here to talk about Kieran Gillen and Peter Cannon. It's true. Not Peter Parker, Peter Cannon. Peter Cannon. Exactly. So we've we we're we're entering into issue four, and we're now in the mundane universe with good old Pete Cannon, who is uh who is who's just a a nice human historian, uh yes. who has no powers and is taking Peter Cannon to the hospital, or tries to instead just takes him to a ther- takes him to a psych- a psychiatrist. Yes. Who someone someone who's used to talking to people who show up in spandex thinking they're superheroes. Yeah. Uh which I did he not He asks him some questions. I did not clock that this was supposed to be this universe's version of Rorschach. I don't think you're supposed to at first though. Cuz the way the way that this is paced, we get the Pete and Peter meet. Pete takes Peter to who we will learn is Rorschach. And then they all go hang out at the bar because he believes Peter. And we meet Lori and we meet Eddie and we meet everyone else who is just the first name human mundane version of Watchmen characters. And then the panel just cuts to him sitting there. It's like, oh, he's the quest. He's he's Rorschach. Like, it's a really great reveal that is one of those, well, yeah, no, I, I should have clocked that, but I didn't, kind yeah, of moments. I did not clock it until I read it in the back matter of the book, because, oh. yeah, no, it, did not, it didn't even clock for me on the read at all. Mostly because well, that, 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 it just wasn't what I was thinking about. Even yeah, though, even though, even though I was, I was still like constantly thinking about yes, this is still riffing, riffing on Watchmen. That still wasn't like clocking for me until I was until I was like flipping back back through and go like, and that that realization of oh that that that's, that's still con- continuing here in this yeah. in this universe. He does have a big bushy beard, which is not something you would usually associate with Rorschach. No, no, no. Uh, Rorschach is supposed to have a, have a have a patchy, some patchy bullshit. Um, I mean, I I would describe his facial hair as Alan Moore esque in this issue. Yeah, uh, yeah, that is not wrong. Probably intentional, as I say it out loud. <laughs> Uh, now I'm just getting, now, now all, now, right now, all I'm thinking about is, uh, Tom King and Jorge Fornes' Rorschach series. I really dig this issue. I Um, do too. I love, I love the pacing of it. I love the art style. I love the, the camaraderie between everyone. I love... It is such a change of pace, such a diversion from the rest of this book. Yeah. And you really get, it really sells the idea that, nah, Peter just gets like this chill day to learn what it's like to have friends. Yeah. Because being like a, a like, the, as, as is said, like the smartest man on earth, 
being the superhero surrounded mostly by super super people and really only having like one adult friend who is also your ex-boy who is also y- y- your your assistant and your ex-boyfriend as well and you ha- and the reason you broke up was because you have re- a really hard time connecting with other people um yeah you have all of that it there's a there's a reason why you know he doesn't have friends he's just surrounded by all of this and it's foreshadowed in the prior issue or maybe even issue two in this moment where what's his name supreme victory is that it uh supreme justice supreme justice supreme justice is like no peter your way doesn't work your way is his way i'm tired of talking i'm doing some punching you act like you're the smartest person here and maybe you are but maybe if you're so smart you need to go in a room with smarter people and then he goes to this other universe with people who are more emotionally intelligent than him and learns the lesson he needs which is the value of friendship Yes. And I love I I love that 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 idea of like maybe you need to go into a room where, where people are smarter than you and then and the way Kirin turns that on its head of it's not it's not like just academically smart, it's more yeah. about it's more about being emotionally intelligent and just understanding other people and understanding where and, and understanding to and how to interact with people properly and connect with people properly well and it becomes fundamental to Mm -hmm. that that flavor of nihilism that is things matter because i choose for them to matter yeah like i i uh, like growing up christian there was always that notion of you uh, you have morals because uh, you are told by God what morals to have. And mm-hmm. then once you step away from not just Christianity, but really any organized religion, you begin to realize that, you know, the reason we have morals is really just because we kind of choose to, mm-hmm. because we, because we choose to, because we, we realize that there are things that hurt us and we don't want to inflict that upon others. So, why so you know if, if we don't basically it's that it's that rule of you know do unto others as you would do to yourself it's like as you would want want done to you like you know don't it's like if you don't want to be treated like an act like treated terribly don't treat others terribly and also just the terrifying realization that there are people in the world who only have morals because their religion tells them to yeah that and and that is a that is a that's a very prevalent thing uh, we do not need to dig into that. <laughs> um, no, this is not the show for this. Uh, but that's something certainly that... not that some people's interpretation of that religion vastly bastardizes those morals and uses them, in fact, to do great deals of harm to people around them. We certainly don't need to get into that right now. I too was raised Baptist. Yeah. Welcome to Texas, uh, or actually, really, well, in the case of both of us, welcome to the South. Uh, so, but that's but that's... please stay down. <laughs> we we uh yeah that that that's how that's how it is for us but that's what peter peter goes through throughout this issue uh, is just sitting down and finally having to reckon with the fact that he need that he has a need for human connection yeah in order to get in in order to 
honestly get anything done in life is to just be is to just have human connection and to understand people and recognize people for who they are and appreciate them for who they are and this issue briefly cuts to thunderbolt talking to robo taboo about how well yes of course he's on the right path because he is perfect and perfection means not only he will be right, that the path he is on has always been right and therefore must be. And what this issue sets up as we kind of transition into issue five mm-hmm. is Pete versus Peter in this idea that, or Pete ver- Peter versus Thunderbolt in this idea that Thunderbolt is existentially the winner versus all Peter really has to do to beat him is show a capacity to learn and grow. And I love the way that this book builds to no, like no one is ever superior by being sure that they've been right up to this point and therefore will continue to be like, it is that human capacity for change that is how you get to be better. Better as a person, better than the person who's convinced that they are supreme. Exactly. And and if you refuse to change, uh, you will get uh, you know, pulled apart by a nine panel grid. Drawn and quartered by a <laughs> by a <laughs> <Drawn>. comic layout. <laughs> Drawn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. We're friends. Yeah. But yeah, that, that, that's, that, yeah, I, I love, I, the first three issues are, are really fun. These last two issues though, they get deeply emotional and that's, and that's what I, I crave more. And from, from, from something like this, the first three issues really get you into the potentials of what this comic is, is going to be and get, and get you excited for the fun of it. Um, while also laying the groundwork for what goes down in the la- in these last two issues. And I mean, in that context also just, this is such smart, efficient storytelling, mm-hmm. the amount of ground and change and character growth that we get like, very believably in five issues is really astounding mm-hmm. yeah because also it feels as though at the beginning of this story peter is already like it, it feels as though peter is already like on a path to where he ends up at the end of the story or just he's not that different right there's not that much yeah. difference between them yeah, it's more it's more about and even by the end of the story it's like he's not fully changed yet. He is he's still on the path. It's yeah. it's really about like this story is kind of like a middle like during like during the path type of story. Yeah. Where it's like Well, he even he even acknowledges at the end of the fight when he's when he's kind of won over Thunderbolt. He's like I'm not better. I just long enough was able to act like I had the capacity to be. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And I've got to keep working at that. It's it's that quote I alluded to at the end, talking to 
his original taboo, the I have never said that I don't want to try just because it's hard, or the, the I've never shied away from something just because it's hard. Um, yeah, and... Okay. This last issue also, as you mentioned, contains one of your fa- uh, one of your favorite uh, one of your favorite fights, and that it takes completely just plays completely off panel. Yes, which is a which is such a great thing, and like I do, I also love because uh, uh, you know, of course, like throughout the story, um, throughout the majority of it, it's been it's been in the form the formalist nine panel grid uh, use. Of uh, you know by Watchmen, um, and it's in this last issue when we start when um like at least, at least around Thunderbolt that formalism is breaking down da- is starting to break down yeah. with the the hand drawn uh, lettering. Um, All right, we're gonna talk about Hassan Atmanel. Yeah, I know, right? I know. Yeah, I was about to say we got to talk about Hassan and how and how he is one of the best letters in the game. God, he's so good. Yeah. Um. I, I, I love the I love the hand drawn lettering. Uh well and it's not even just like okay. There's the hand drawn lettering that we're gonna talk about in a second. The little nods in design in type and balloons to allude to different watchman characters without being just straight up watchman characters. Mm-hmm. The fact that Thunderbolt's text looks just a little more like the Watchmen text than Peter's does. Um, and then this thing that happens from issue four to five, which is what JD was getting to where, because issue four is alluding to a very specific era of comics. That is black and white, like sketchy pencil on paper zine kind of aesthetic. That issue is lettered like that kind of comic would have been. But as we leave the mundane world and Peter returns to fight Thunderbolt, that style of lettering remains as something that is both monologue and a little bit bigger than Peter. Like, my read of it is that it is something that is from Peter, but that he is not necessarily wholly in control of or conscious of. At all times. Um, Because we see it become a distraction to Thunderbolt. We see it become something like a little bigger than either of them. And it recurs throughout the fight. And then it shows up one more time on the last page. Um, And it becomes this like promise of potential. Like, this is font choices becoming symbolic. And it's just chef's kiss. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> I have nothing to add. That that Yeah, that, that is a, a beautiful way to put that. Yeah. I love it. I also love uh, a nice little touch that Hassan puts as well is even within the uh the the mundane universe uh peter cannon still has like his own text bubbles while mm-hmm. the rest of the, while the rest of the characters still have the 
the hand-drawn text for their dialogue as well as the narration, uh, which I, I, I love that little touch. I also did not notice uh, before un- until you mentioned it that, that, that Thunderbolt's t- uh, lettering does have like the Watchmen-esque lettering, uh, which makes a lot of sense. And also, get, you know, it gets back to like some, something that's talked about with lettering is like, it's the same thing with ed- with editing in mo- in film and television. Is like the best editing, or in this case, the best lettering is the type that you don't notice. Yeah, it's just they say it, the because, same thing about lighting design in yeah, yeah in, in live theater. Yeah, it's just it, it like when when it when it's when it's just right for the project, then that then it's doing its job. Then you, then you don't notice it because it, yeah. it because it's just yet another element that brings it all together as one as one cohesive piece. Because like, when we I like I love like I do love like just straight up prose, but mm-hmm. there's something I love about about it, like any visual medium whether it be film and television or comics or the stage in that you have all these moving parts all in all of this collaboration that has to that that when done right lines up so beautifully that even if some that you know like even if you know some even like one or two things might be you know like off or whatever but like when they but like they can still line up to be just breathtaking and that's what yeah. this and, that, and, that, and that's how this one works that's how this story works yeah all to I, say this is a really good comic y'all <laughs> it's so good i mean all cards on the table, like, when JD reached out to me about coming on this episode, I was like... I will do everything to be here. I will do everything to be here, but also, like, I'm so busy right now. Can I actually say yes to this? And, like, then I even forgot to respond and was like, Oh yeah, I did promise you an answer later that same day, a week ago. Yes, I will be there. Pick a day and time. <laughs> um... And for as just kind of crazy as my life is right now and has been for months, like I am so glad I got to revisit this book because I remembered how much I loved it. And I remembered why I loved it at an intellectual level. But there is so much here that kind of just even defies... the memory of the thing like there is so much about this book that just sings when you take it all in. not dissimilar from what you were talking about like everything coming together it's it's bigger than the sum of its parts from both directions like you know i had forgotten how how earnest and emotional parts of it was i'd honestly and this is insane to say but like i'd kind of forgotten issue number four existed at all (laughs) <laughs> yeah because like just just with everything else going on in the story there is there are those there are those things that just you come back you can come back to it months later and just go oh shit right this yeah. this this happens like oh shit we do get the tiny little moment of peter cannon using the test's blood to escape from thunderbolt we get yeah. everything ha- that happens in issue four we get uh you know like you know the the moment at the end of issue five where Peter Cannon like not so subtly just 
great gl- like glazes over the fact that he still loves Taboo and wants to and wants to try being in a relationship w- with him again. And then Taboo has to go, no, 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 wait, 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 you have, no, go, go back, say that again, <laughs> say that again. The and recap, Peter, yeah. Yeah, it's like, no, 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 you gotta go back and say that, say it to my face, and then kiss me on my face. Yes. And it's such a wonderful, and it's such a beautiful little moment, and then we get the, we get the great moment of Peter Cannon looking at us, the audience, saying, I leave it entirely in your hands. Kind of, like, recalling back to that moment, in, to the end of Watchmen, where, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons were reaching out to the re- to 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 people at, in the same way, but because of the because of the lessons, the wrong lessons that people took from that story, and it, and it got us to where we are now. It it you know like a, like kind of it almost feels like Kieran Gillen is taking that message back from the people who took who took the wrong lessons from Watchmen and trying to bring it back to the to the current readers to the pe- to yeah. the people who are who are going to go forward and make something of their own in a more earnest fashion yeah i love i i love that and Peter just literally breaking a panel apart. You get that little moment as well. There, are, yeah, yeah, you're right. There are just so many moments that easily can be for that, that can just easily be, like be forgotten just because there are so many beautiful little moments here that you can forget half of them. So then you come back and read this again. And you're just like, oh yeah, this wonderful moment happened here. Well, and on top of that, like I don't get to go back and reread things a lot. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time I've read it all at once. I read it originally monthly. Mm-hmm. So there's connective tissue, there's repetition of theme and idea that is just clearer rereading it. Or there are things that like I know it builds towards, so I'm watching out a little bit more for and catch more about. I, I definitely, definitely recommend reading it all at once. And if you read it before and you read it in singles, like, this is certainly a book that is worth revisiting as a whole. Something I want—I I was actually just thinking about uh, while we were t- while we were just talking. Um, there is a movie that you recently watched watched that came out this year that I feel is a nice little companion piece of this, and that's Everything Everywhere All at Once. I understand the connection. I don't know that that is a connection I would have made, but I can see it. Because, like, beyond the multiverse aspect of it, I yes. feel that both of these pieces have... This was my multiverse of magic. <laughs> Before multiverse of madness ever was ever conceived, this was my multiverse. Um, when did the series come out? Was it, tw- was it 2019 when the series came out? Uh, I know. Th- I know the me. trade came out in 2019, because that's what uh, my my copy says. Uh, Allow me to consult the oracle. How are you doing, Barbara? Are you okay? Is Richard is is Richard being a good boy? It was 2019. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So this was. 
around the time Multiverse of Menace was announced. But oh, but but who, who? But honestly, who cares? Time is a lake. This feels so long ago. It was only 2019. <laughs> honestly, uh, when you brought it up to me, I looked. I looked at this trade and I thought, I feel like this came out like 10 years ago. It I mean, gun to my head. If you had said, Alex, when this when did this come out, I would have said, like, 2016, 2017. And when I stopped and thought about it, if I had really stopped and thought, I would have remembered, I live in my house I live in now. It could not have been earlier than 2018. But somehow it hurts me that this was 2019, because God, what has happened all this time? That's rhetorical. The answer is a pandemic. But, like... Also, time is a lake. I mean, okay, if I'm going to get real a second, can I get real a second for just a millisecond? Yeah. Let my guard down and tell the people well, how I feel, I feel a, a second. second. Um, one of the biggest problems I have always had with Watchmen is Ozymandias' plan is fucking stupid. Yeah. And I feel like the last three years of real-world human existence proves that. The fact that this book begins with Peter being like, yeah, no, I had this idea. I realized it was dumb as shit. Made me very viscerally happy because my biggest criticism of Watchmen, skipping all the bag takes, skipping all that is just, Ozymandias' plan is naive. He's too smart to be that dumb. And I think that was... Part of the part of the point, it's just that doesn't come quite that doesn't quite come across in the comic. Yeah, because at the end of that comic, like there are there are the peace ducks, but you have but you know, you know that Moore and Gibbons were thinking beyond that, like this, like this world is not going to last this long, especially when you have that reveal of Rorschach's journal being sent to the newspaper as well. Yeah. So, yeah, all of that. With with all of that, yeah, no, I, I do kind of see this and everything everywhere all at once as as somewhat companion pieces with characters at the center of it who have to go on the on these uh, journeys of acceptance and love, and but That's in very in, in very different ways. Uh, yeah, I think I think my my hesitation to make that comparison comes from the core difference, which is everything everywhere at once is a movie grounded in generational trauma, yeah. which is not at all what this comic is. No, no, I, I, I would say it's more, it, you know, both, both have trauma, just very different trauma. Yeah. And, and, and both are, both are looking at their respective mediums and, and trying to see how can we like, like, can we can we talk about how we need to move forward? Yeah, uh, because that movie is very much showing that like we got into we we we, we got uh, Stephanie. I I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I believe it's pronounced Sue. Stephanie Sue. Uh, she's beating. A, she beats a guy with dildos, and Jenny Slate and Michelle Yeoh have have a fight where Jenny Slate is swinging around her her dog on a leash like like it's a freaking you know like ball on a chain. It's incredible. The, the movie's incredible. There's a, there's an entire butt plug fight scene. I mean, and that's that's all within like the first hour. There's still another hour after that, dealing with the fact that people just need love and acceptance. 
And that's and that's what we have here is like we have the those first three the the first three issues of the story are the first hour of everything everywhere all at once. It's all the fun, cool looking shit that that lays the groundwork for what's going to come later. Here is the thesis of this series, and if you want to call this a spoiler for the last page, that's fine. <laughs> but the thesis for this book. The point isn't to just do this, it is to find what can be done. The point is to beat back the impossible. If there are to be humans, real or fictional, super or otherwise, they should be the best they can be. It leaves the question, is that actually possible, up in the air, but in the way of a challenge, I think. Yes. And with that all being said, I think we're actually at a wonderful stopping point, finally, for this episode. <laughs> um, so with we have freed JD from this prison. <laughs> you mean free Alex from my grip. Uh, free Alex, please, everyone, free Alex from, my, from the iron grip of Comics Quest. Uh, I, I, every time I... He is, uh, he is my Michael Corleone uh, from Godfather 3. Um, every time I... You know, every time he thinks he, he gets out, I reel him back in. I get that reference. I've never seen any Godfather movies, but... The first two are good. I, I know, like, you know, as someone who likes to stay away from film bro Twitter, uh, or film bros in general, um, the Godfather movies are actually good. Uh, if you, do, you know, but, you know, they're not for everyone, and that is fine. I, I need to tell you about this exchange I overheard in the comic shop today, and I can do this off the air, but it is the actual stupidest conversation about Star Wars I've ever heard, Ooh. and that is saying something. I, I'm excited to hear this off mic. Listeners, <laughs> I love Star Wars. I refuse to engage with any other living human about Star Wars, because the capital D discourse around The Last Jedi made me want to never talk to anyone about it again. Fair. Absolutely fair. But I love it. Yeah. No, uh, there's a reason why there hasn't been a Star Wars tweet from me ever, because I do not want to incur the wrath of people who want to engage in bad faith arguments. So, yeah. with that being said, we are ending this episode, finally, because we because Alex and I could go on for another four hours. We're, and, and the thing is, we're not exaggerating on that. We really could. So, with all that being said, it is time for plugs. Alex, where can, Hi. <laughs> where can people find you, and what have you got going on? Well, the easiest place to find me is on Twitter, at AlexLavelle2005. Uh, JD, at the top of the show, very graciously named four podcasts. One of those is actually releasing episodes, uh, and that is Once Upon a Monster of the Week. It is a... Uh, an actual play podcast using the Monster of the Week system, but in a little different form than a lot of actual play podcasts take. It is inspired largely by audio drama, which means each of our play sessions we're trimming down, trying to leave the focus less on table talk and more on just what happens in the scene, um, and filling some gaps from our DM with narration. Uh, it is also a little different in that it is actually following 
four different sets of players across multiple mysteries all set in the same strange like gravity falls twin speak twin peaks inspired town um i am editing it it is a blast all of our players are just funny clever and most of in most cases queer delightful human beings um the other things may or may not come back at some point. Who knows? We actually did recently drop an episode of Minds at York talking to our friend Chris Grine about the next volume of one of his creator-owned graphic novels, Secrets of Camp, whatever. Um, so I guess that has released an episode in the last six months. Um, that's it. That's most of what I'm doing. I also do theater stuff, but unless you're in Atlanta, you're not going to come see that. And I don't have anything really up in the air right now because it's the summer and I'm keeping it open. Wonderful. Yes, please, everyone, go listen to Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time. Uh, yeah. Once Upon a, a Monster, Monster of, of the, the Week. week. Good lord. <laughs> it is. It is a wonderful title. It is also for my brain a confusing title at times. Uh, and I appreciate. And I appreciate um, y'all for that. Uh, so, with all that said, it's time for our thanks and plugs for the episode. So, first of all, thank you to the one and only truly wonderful human being that is alex lavelle for uh, once again appearing on the show i'm always happy to have you here uh hi uh you're you're lucky that i don't make you permanent co-host um next i want to thank the wonderful dan purcell the friend of all pots for crafting the beautiful theme song that you hear at the beginning and end of every episode dan is great go follow him on twitter instagram at the Dan Purcell and check out all of his original music where you, wherever you consume your music, um, consume your music, consume your music. We're going to, we're going to sleep. We're going to leave it that way. Uh, also thank you to the wonderful Nikki Berger for creating the, the artwork that adorns this show. It's fucking awesome. And go follow them wherever, uh, wherever they, uh, on Twitter, they are at double burger. Uh, yeah. And, uh, next, I want to thank the Certain POV Network for continuing to put up with my bullshit. Uh, there's so much of it, and yeah, I, and I and I love them for that. Just let me run rampant across the network, shouting about comics, um, and being my general weird self. Uh, if you would be so inclined, if you're able to, on whatever platform you're listening th- to this on, uh, if you could rate, review, subscribe, helps the show grow, helps more people pr- hopefully read more comics. Uh, and also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Comics Quest Show. With all that being said, uh, even though I didn't mention it at the top of this episode, this was the long haul. So uh, next week we'll be back to our reg- regularly scheduled program of a Comics Quest episode. And until then, I hope you have a wonderful day and I love you all. Bye! CPOV. CertainPOV.com.